Dude, I'm good. How are you? Doing all right here. Good, man. Hey, I wanted to ask you about a hand from a trip I just took to Columbus, uh, playing at the Hollywood Casino down there. Yeah, how was how the action there? Was it a good room? It's pretty good. Uh, I mean, they have plenty of games going. The 1-2 game is pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 400 cap, which is nice. Uh, there wasn't that much 2-5 action, uh, and that has a $1,000 cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the 1-2, they, they had a lot of tables going on, and it's a nice room. I like the feel of the casino. Uh, and I actually won a couple hundred dollars with uh, some free slots money I got. Uh, so that was that was nice. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I wonder why I put so much time into poker when, you know. Yeah, I know, two spins. A <laughs> hundred times what I started with. You know. Oh, it was only two spins? Yeah, the, the first spin I hit the jackpot, and the second <laughs> spin, uh, I got 16 free spins. <laughs> so that was nice. Nice. Uh, anyways, so the first day I was there, I was sitting at a table... Uh, with one player who I really wanted to play with and another player who I didn't really want to play with at all. And this hand involved both of them. Interesting. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, so my image so far at this table is very loose. Uh, I've been playing a lot of hands, probably opening like... 20 to 25 percent of hands especially in late position uh slightly more uh i've been three betting somewhat frequently i don't i don't believe at this point in the session i've uh showed down any light three betting hands but i have been three betting light Mm -hmm. so i'll describe the two main villains in the hand as they come so i'm in the big blind the first villain is the villain that i'm targeting He's been on a bit of a heater, so he has a very big stack, uh, probably about 700. But he's made some pretty clear mistakes, like making some really bad value bets and playing some really bad hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also noticed that he opens his premium hands for a lot bigger than he opens uh, his lesser hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his race or his open size for those lesser hands is seven. Mm-hmm. So he opens to seven mm-hmm. uh, UTG plus two, and it folds to the button, who's the second villain, mm-hmm. who I'm identifying as a very good player for one two. He's looks to be in his late twenties. He's dressed fairly well. He bought in deep. For 400? Yeah. Yeah. And makes larger bet sizes in good spots, plays position. Uh, but he, and he plays, he's playing a pretty similar style of opening as me in terms of frequency. Mm-hmm. And I recently changed seats to be two seats left of him. Yeah. Uh, and I'm biding my time really to take over the seat uh, of the person sitting directly to the left yep. of the person I'm targeting because they have a very short stack mm-hmm. uh, and don't look t- to be rebuy. So that's really why I'm still at the table because I, I might have left just because this other player I think is going to give me 
more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, um, it's rare you find a player like that at, at a one-two game. You know. Mm-hmm. And he has already called me down fairly light once. Um, was and was he correct? In and that he spot? was he was correct. Okay. I don't remember the details of the hand, but uh, I know he's sort of considering my opening range to be fairly wide and knows that I'm capable of bluffing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what's he do on the button? So he calls on the button. And what's what's his effective? What's his stack size? Uh, they both have me covered. Okay. And I have six hundred. Okay. Cool. So. I think he's definitely three betting all his premiums in this spot. Yeah, I've seen him three bet plenty. And this villain, uh, the first villain, has folded to three bets several times. So the first villain, when he makes it, is kind of exploitatively small sizing with his worst hands. If he gets three bet, you've seen him fold them. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, this seems like a. Kind of just like a dream spot. You have the good player's range who's capped, and you have the first player's range who's capped based on the sizing. So, uh, you know, I'm not three-betting 100% of hands here, obviously. Uh, but I think this is a spot where you should be three-betting, like, very wide. I agree. But I now that I just listed these details of the hand, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that if the button player had the same read on villain one that I do, mm-hmm. that he might be flatting some premiums in this spot. Yeah, I mean, I think that any good player, like, given everything you're saying, should have, like, some range of flatting premiums, given you're really deep, and, like, maybe he's aware that you might know that if he flats there, this is, like, a good three-betting spot for you. But I also think that without, like serious history history with him we have to like pretty really discount that you know i agree but i I do think it's possible that he's fighting some i think he probably has at least a couple aces aces combos in his range that he's flatting here just because he knows that his three bet is going to get or villain one is going to fold his three bet a lot would he also flat there maybe to induce a three bet by you you think he's capable of that? At the time, I would definitely not have considered that. I'll tell you more about him after the hand, after we talk through the hand. Like other hands he played after the fact. And, yeah, yeah, just other facts I, I had about him that maybe changed that opinion. But I would never really think that any 1-2 player I've only been playing with for an hour and a half is going to flat a premium so that to exploit my 3-bet. Yeah, that's what I thought you were saying before. But I guess... You, you're saying he's flatting to like make sure the villain one doesn't. Yeah, flatting to that get makes a lot more sense. Okay. Right. Uh, cool. I also think that like you're really deep, so like even if the first player folds, like he's gonna call pretty much any three bet with any pocket pair because he's in position and he's really deep. Right. Uh, so what do you have? So I have Ace Four suited. Yeah. Uh, small blind folds, and you know this seems like as good a hand as any to three bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I make it 30. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, my default when I'm like three betting out of position is to make it 4x and then if there's a caller to add that. So I guess, you know, in this spot I'd be making it 35. But I would probably go no less than 35 in this spot just because you have what you identified as a really good player on the button in position who 
you know, if you make it just 30, even when villain one folds, he should be calling with like a pretty wide range of hands, you know? And then you have like a skilled player in position with it, you know, where you have about like 300 big blinds behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you want to make it like, like if they both fold, that's like just a perfectly good outcome. You know, you win the money variance free. And I think given your read on villain one in this spot, like you kind of, you want to be three betting a really polarized range here. And, you know, with the, the light part of your range, you want to hope to take it down. I agree, but I'm wondering, I think the relevant part here in terms of bet sizing, I think between 30 and 35 or even 40, villain one is going to fold if he's going to fold or call if he's going to call. And it's not going to necessarily matter between 30 and 35 or 40. For villain one, I agree. So so, I think it's for one villain, one folds and then like... Right. So my follow-up question would be, what parts of villain two's range do you think he's going to fold to 35 that he wouldn't fold to 30? Well, I, I mean, I think in this spot I'd make it 40 personally. So 40 uh, versus 30. So I think he's he's going to be calling with every pocket pair here. Mm-hmm. Or at least he really should be. Yeah. Uh, I so I think it's kind of like the middling suited connectors that he might fold, as well as like the middling and higher suited one gappers. Okay. Anyways, I make it 30, uh, and then villain one does fold, mm-hmm. and villain two calls. Yeah. Uh, so the flop comes jack, four, jack, rainbow. So I have two pair. And hmm. I thought this was like a, a kind of a tough spot, because I think that yeah. his range is very pocket pair heavy, and I don't know that I can fold out many of those pairs, maybe some of the, maybe deuces or threes. But you're ahead of those in one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, I thought I would check call to try and get value from hands he, you know, will bluff with, you know, king-queens, king-tens, queen-tens. Yeah, I think... You know, he'll, he'll be bluffing with most of his air here because, you know, he's identified that you're, like, an aggressive player and that when you check, you're kind of capping your range. Uh, and I think a lot of times, like, when you check here, you might be checking to give up. So I think the check call is definitely a good, a good route to go. Also, given, like, your history, I think it'd be pretty ambitious to, to um, you know, try to get him to fold, like, a pocket pair, like, eights, nines, and tens. Yeah. By by the river. I also think that you are really deep. And there are scenarios I can imagine where with like a little more history I'd be betting for value on this flop. You know, to get called by deuces, threes, and like all of his ace highs. But you're incredibly deep. And I think if you were to get raised on this flop, you just have to fold, even if you think he's like capable of raising light. So I think for pot control reasons, it would also be a good idea to check call the flop here and then kind of see what happens on the turn. Yeah, I agree. I feel good about my check call line here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just to progress the hand a little bit, he does bet 40, and and I did call. Cool, so we have about like, like 145 now. Yeah. So I guess what is my plan... Uh, for later streets by check calling. I, 
I think that's part of where I'm a little bit lost in this hand. I, I mean, I think against a player like this, you definitely should have a range that check calls the flop and check folds blank turns. Um, I think that with just with all the information that you provided me, on a blank turn, I'm, I'm folding to like a, a bet that's larger than like half pot. I think he would likely appropriately bet, like if there's like another low card below, let's say his like middling pocket pair, I think he'd likely bet again on the turn for value and for protection. Um, and then I also think he's sometimes gonna just double barrel, but I think when you have a dry board like this, an aggressive preflop raiser, who you'd think would normally see bet this board, and they kind of opt to check call. If I don't have any like serious reads against them, and I'm in the button player's position, I'm not just gonna like continuing to continue to double barrel with all of my air on the turn. So I think until you have more of a history with him on like a turn that doesn't change much, I think you have to to fold. So I think I'm calling the flop and planning on folding to to most most turn bets. Okay. Yeah, I think that makes sense with this hand. I'm just worried that I'm trying to think about what the whole range looks like on the flop to make sure that you know when I when I check here I'm not too exploitable. Uh, I think at, at one two that's not often a very productive conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but against this opponent, you know, I think it's worth consideration. But maybe for another time. Uh, I mean, I think on a basic level. You don't really have any history with this villain, so you're not trying to like be balanced here. I think it's reasonable even against like a decent player to try to just you know be one level higher than him, <laughs> uh, unless you think he's that good of a player where you really should have some semblance of of balance. But I think it's okay that like your check call range is gonna just be you know weaker than your betting range. Yeah, I guess what I'm worried about is that when I do opt to check call, uh, it looks like such a pot controlling line mm-hmm. that against a skilled opponent, which and I think this opponent might be skilled enough, uh, and I already sort of felt like this opponent might be skilled enough at the time, that taking a pot controlling line like that would lead uh, me to ex- encounter some really, a, a lot of pressure going forward. Yeah, I mean, I definitely... If I've only been playing with you for like an hour and a half and I have no history with you, and I see you take like a pot controlling line, I think in his position I would be likely to kind of fire three barrels and put the pressure on, you know? Because I think that most players that I identify as like decent players are just not going to be taking a pot controlling line with a hand they're comfortable calling three sizable bets with. But there's a big leap between like that and then saying that a player that appeared to be very competent at one two is capable of that. I feel like even if you yeah. have all of the signs, it's still probably best to make like, you know, a game theoretically exploitable fold on the turn, and then just like make a mental note of the next few hours, and then like maybe be capable of calling him down for two streets with ace four in the future. Yeah. But I, I think I'm definitely folding to to a blank a blank turn against like this player with all the information provided. Hmm. I can definitely get behind that. Uh, but the, the turn is a little juicier than that. So the turn is a jack, and I check to him, and he bets 140. So he bets pot. Based, yeah, just under pot. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's not a blank turn. <laughs> no, it's not a blank turn. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever his holding is, it's, you know, a good bet. He's putting a putting a lot of pressure on you when you have a clearly capped range. Mm-hmm, but his range is also clearly capped. Like, he have, he has jacks. Yeah, well, I mean, but... it's, it's capped and he doesn't have premiums. It's not capped in that, like... He can't... Right, of course, he can have jacks. Yeah, so that's... Uh, I was definitely, like, really conflicted about this spot. Because... Yeah. Because of what we talked about on the flop and the fact that I feel like this is a very good player. Uh, one of the best players I've ever played against at 1-2. You pretty much, like, never have a jack. You, like, maybe have, like, quad... Like, on the flop, you maybe have quads. Right. But, like, on the turn, you almost never have a jack. And he definitely... And I definitely don't have... And, I, and he'll, he'll know... He that knows you don't have any jacks. And he knows that I took a pot controlling line. Yeah. But just before we talk about this hand specifically, I think this is a really good like reminder that against like decent players, sometimes with like the top of you know the top of your range or the near top of your range, sometimes taking like a pot controlling line and just being willing to call down is most profitable. That's something that like early on to start like beating, you know, one, two and two five, you kinda you know, never want to do that with the top of your range. You want to get value from worse, but mm-hmm. I think this kind of shows against like, you know, decent players. Just like generally speaking, taking a pot controlling line uh, with hands that you're willing to kind of call down with can can often be the best best way to play. Yeah. The thing is, I definitely I wasn't certain that I could call down. I definitely didn't think I could call down here because yeah, I think I he's easily turning a lot of hands that beat me anyway into bluffs really i don't i don't see a player doing this with like fives i really don't i see this as a pretty polarizing bet and while he doesn't have a lot of i mean like to me because he pretty much never has queens kings or aces this bet is is almost like i have a jack and i think that some percent of the time he'd be skilled enough to like bet this with nines or tens and then check back the river but I think this bet a lot of time is like a pretty polarizing bet, but that being said, I don't think we have enough history to call the turn here against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like if this was the river, you know, and you're, you know, facing a pot size bet, like what I call here, that's a different story. I'd probably be inclined to call here, but because you have another street to come, and hundreds of dollars behind. Yeah, the effective odds are not in no. my favor. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't like a call. So, if we eliminate call, it's it's sort of between raise and fold. I opted to fold. Yeah. Because in one, I, I there were sort of two sort of funny reasons in terms of how they interact with each other that I didn't raise. Uh, well, before you talk about raising, though, like I think we've kind of identified that like his bet is pretty polarizing, and raising a polarized range doesn't doesn't usually make sense, right? Like that that bet is like what he would bet with a jack, I believe. Uh, so I know what you're saying, but and this is part of why it's confusing. If we can't call because of the effective odds. Uh, but we think he's betting a polarized range and perhaps an unbalanced polarized range. Then should we call? Or? Well, 
if we're sure that he's like unbalanced enough for us to profitably call down the turn in the river, then yes. But what I'm saying is we don't have enough information to make that call. But I think we clearly have enough information not to raise because he's, you know, he's, he has a polar, he's betting a polarized sizing. So it doesn't make sense to raise that sizing because either it's kind of snap call or like snap fold, you know? So mm-hmm. I think the only consideration here is really the call. Well, I think it'd be different maybe with like a bet that is closer to half pot, you know, where he still clearly has middling pocket pairs in his range. And then when you raise, you're kind of like representing a super slow played hand and putting him in a tough spot, you know, but not, I don't, I don't think that that works with his sizing. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you, but I'm, I'm sort of verbally exploring the idea of making a small check raise here. It almost feels like sort of a preemptive you know, blocking bet, which doesn't, it's not intuitive because it's not the river. Yeah. But basically, if I think that he'll fold all of his air to, let's say, a min raise uh, on this, in this instance, then does it make sense to min raise here, win the pot when we have the best hand and not have to face any river bet? No, it doesn't. Because if you think that he has enough air in his betting range here, you should just call down. But I think based on the information we have, we can't say that he clearly has enough air in his range here, so we just have to fold. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I folded. Yeah, I, I think probably part of my dissatisfaction is just coming from frustration of being at this table with uh, this one really juicy player and then this other guy who just you know, consistently got in my way. We were sort of playing musical chairs, trying to get on each other's left. Yeah. Uh, and it was just really annoying. I mean, sometimes it's probably just best to move tables. Like, even with that yeah. better, you know, that, that desirable player with the $700 stack, like, you know, it's a 1-2 game, and you were blow, play on the weekend, right? Like, it's gonna... Yeah. You know, and I you can find another good table. I did eventually <laughs> move tables. Uh, I think there was a little bit of ego going on. I'm sure. Uh, and actually a similar thing happened the next day where I was in the best seat uh, directly to the right of the... Directly to the right? Sorry, directly to the left uh, of the table's, you know, resident fish. <laughs> but the rest of the table was just really not desirable. And yeah. I just... I mean, that's not a table you want to be at, especially at, like, at 1-2, like... You know, so there's some... when I say just just to quickly interrupt you, when I say undesirable, I'm not necessarily meaning very tough, but like one tough opponent and then other not, you know, super fishy opponents. Yeah, of course, right. I, I know what you're saying. Uh, but yeah, I feel I feel pretty strongly. If you're in a room that has like more than three or four one two tables, like you know, you should be at a good table 100 percent of the time. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Anyways, part of you know, what made the hand interesting to me in retrospect is that the next day when I got to the casino, this same player was playing 2-5. Uh, yeah. And so he clearly wasn't a typical 1-2 player. I'm I'm not totally sure. He must be a regular and know that the 2-5 game the day before wasn't as good. Yeah. Uh, or else I'm not sure why he would have been playing 1-2 and then 1-2 on a Friday night and then 2-5 on a Saturday uh, midday, yeah, both no, times probably two for tables those, going. Probably for those reasons that the two five was just looked pretty bad on Friday night. Mm-hmm. 
So d- d- he's he's not a pro though, right? I doubt he's a pro. Yeah, good. But regular. he could be good. You know, likely winning regular. Yeah, and he and he could be a pro. There there were plenty of uh, pros in the room, mm-hmm. even at one two people who sort of describe themselves as a professional. Well, that it's that's... not it's hard <laughs> to know exactly what that means, but uh, people who said that and then demonstrated poker intelligence. Yeah, uh, even more so than the sort of tag pro that I'm used to seeing uh, in other casinos. Yeah. What would you say? Would you say the how does the Planet Hollywood rank to our, you know, home casino of the Horseshoe in Cleveland? Oh, it's just the Hollywood, I think. I don't know if it's the Planet Hollywood. Oh, it's totally not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I definitely like the Horseshoe better. Better action, you think? Well, one, I, I like playing 1-3 better. And the action that I've experienced the Horseshoe has been better. Mm. Definitely less good players. And then everyone was talking, or not everyone, but a couple players were talking about how great uh, the PLO in Cleveland is. Yeah. And it makes me really want to step up my PLO game to, to take advantage of that. Yeah, no, it's really it's really taken off recently. Yeah. Yeah, the PLO game has been great at the shoe. I haven't been playing that much in the last few weeks, but I found myself in a 5-10 round-by-round game uh, last weekend, and it was... It was a really, really great game. You know, unfortunately, Aces and Kings free flop both couldn't hold up, and that was the that was the end of my session. But uh, it was clearly a very profitable game to be in, even though there were some clearly, you know, very good players. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh well, I've also heard that in round by round games, it's really easy to sort of take over the hold'em round because people play play a lot more conservatively conservatively just because they're you know they just came from Omaha where you know there's a lot more possibilities for each hand yeah that was not the vibe of this game oh, people really? weren't generally playing conservatively it was a lot of I mean ev- everyone at the table was like more of a reg than me it was either like pros people that like might kind of consider themselves pros but are probably not winning players <laughs> And then, you know, big fish that come in on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's everyone kind of knew each other and was like, okay. you know, a lot of leveling and a stuff. A home game feel. Yeah, really. So it was it was some of the most fun I've had playing poker in a while, despite, uh, you know, me losing in that game and losing pretty hard in the 2-5 game that preceded that. <laughs> yeah, that'll but happen. That's poker it's, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's definitely important to be able to have fun when you lose, because you'll lose. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was an unfortunate thing because I actually wasn't planning on playing poker that night, so I didn't really bring my yeah. bankroll with yeah. me. Uh, you didn't realize we would be playing a five ten round by round. Yeah, and obviously, like I'm not normally playing five ten. It's only you know kind of specific circumstances when the game's incredible when I'd really be able to do something like that. But that definitely made me think of okay, maybe it makes sense to like keep some money at the shoe or something or like always have access to you know x amount of money because uh if i just have to rely on you know my atm limit for the occasional times when i just decide to play poker i could be losing a lot of ev in a spot where like i i still felt like i was playing playing well that night you know it's like mm-hmm. pretty pretty simple i played like very tight during the round by round and 
got it in good and, and lost, you know, yeah. that's PLO. So I would have loved to be able to buy in, you know, for, you know, a, f- a few more times if need be. <laughs> yeah. No, I, d- I definitely feel that. Oh, well, lesson learned. Yeah. And speaking of bankroll management, uh, you can actually check the website now. I just published a kind of piece on realistic bankroll management and, you know, how to think about that for people that, you know, aren't professionals or people that have, you know, thousands of dollars specifically dedicated to a poker bankroll. And especially for the type of people that might want to have that, like, poker bankroll, but, uh, you know, can't just deposit uh, that money into, like, a poker account or set aside that money at the current moment. And speaking of the website, uh, we're getting more and more listens every week, but we're not getting more and more hands being written into us every week. So we would still love to hear from you. Uh, And we're going to try and answer all the emails we get, and we're definitely looking to start featuring some listener hands on the show. Uh, so, you know, please write us. Our website is Just Hands Poker. You can email us at info at justhandspoker.com. And also, you know, if you don't want to write in a whole hand, uh, feel free to comment on some of our blog posts or podcast episodes. We'd love to hear what you think. You know, I'm sure we've gotten many things wrong uh, so far, or at least there's some points that maybe we didn't feel like merited you know further debate but that still kind of left you with some questions so you know leave a comment write us an email Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback great well thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week